He's the closer. So I've entitled this sermon because I'm going to be talking about closing. And he's the closer for the A's. So I've entitled it to Doug Jones with Love. And many of you know that I have a series now. On, you know, I have a one to Fidel Castro with Love. Uh, I had one just the other day to somebody with Love. Who did, I, who did I dedicate the other one to? Remember? Oh, to Max Alba with Love last Wednesday. Then I had one to Ted Turner with Love. Uh, Mike Tyson with Love. Jason Giambi with Love. Uh, who else? Oh, Bill Clinton with love. Um, by Monica Lewinsky, hallelujah. Uh, something like that. Something like that. I, I don't know what it was, you know. <laughs> let's, let's, let's get into the message. <laughs> but I've had a few, a few of those, you know, but we're going to have to make that into a series and send it to all these people. <laughs> uh, Jesus. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles and let us run and Gilbert and I used to run track together with perseverance the race here's the key marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father, I pray that we would be enthusiastic to keep going on for you, Lord God, that you would fill us with your spirit here today, Lord God, and not just your word, but your spirit, Lord God, and enable us to be individuals, Lord God, that will finish strong, not just start strong, but finish strong. Enable us, Lord God, to glean from your word and now keep a sermon like this, Lord God, ever before us, knowing, Lord God, that we don't want to fall back, Lord God, that we don't want to throw in the towel. We want to use the towel to wash other people's feet. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody together said, Amen. Amen. Greet one another one more time with the love of the Lord before you prior to your being seated. I believe this is a very appropriate message in that this will be the last Sunday evening service as we end our stay here and we go on to our new building okay because this is in a sense like the second to the last service and I'm going to be talking about an end of a person's life the end the duration the finish okay now also and uh, you know I chose this sermon because as I mentioned earlier Gilbert and I used to run track and cross country together and so I know a little bit about racing when I read that part the race set before us. See, God sets before us a race and a strategy and a plan. Remember Mr. Buis? Uh, get a laugh. Just for me and Gilbert. That was me and him. Uh, he was our coach. And also Mr. Manning, our cross-country coach. Huh? Uh, and what they would do is they would check out what things we could do. And, and, and I think I've mentioned this here before. We'd strategize. When other, other teams would come in, we would mark the spot where we would have to really hit Hit it hard. When you reach here, you give it all you got. And the other teams didn't have that, that uh, bonus or that benefit that we did because we were running on our home track in our home area. Okay? So, in other words, we had the race set before us. But Paul, or, or the Hebrew writer here, which I believe was Paul, is telling us God is our Mr. Buis. God is our track coach. God is our Mr. Manning. God has set before each and every one of us a strategy. For your race, your Christian race. And we need to stick 
to that strategy. Because when we get out of bounds, oh, look out. Now, Christianity is a race. And God wants us to be strong all the way to the finish, all the way to the very end. He doesn't want us to give up at midstream. Okay? But we should, you know, we should be in this, like I said before, in this to win this. Let me read to you from Genesis chapter 11. The second to the last verse says, Terah took his son Abram, not Abraham yet, Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai. Wasn't Sarah yet, Sarai. The wife of his son Abram. And together they set out on a race that was set, that's the very same word, set out. They, they had a race that was set out. They had a life that was set out. Every one of you have a, here has a life that was set out. Some of you are on plan Z. Like if you've been in the home, you're probably on plan. I think I, when I came into the home, I was on plan Z. I run out of plan A, B, C, D, D, blah, 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 and all that. Uh, it could have been my last set out. But praise God, I'm still in the race. I haven't given in. Because uh, I know the importance of it. Because God showed me, I don't need on heroin nine times. And when I got in the home, God said, hey, you're like a cat. Nine lives, no more. I said, ooh, okay. Uh, but praise God for plan Z to the third power. It doesn't matter. Uh, as long as you're breathing, there's hope. That's one of my saints. Okay? So they had a set out plan here. Like we all do. You have a set race. They set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. That, had, that was terror. We sing a song, many of us. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons. Tim, why don't you get on that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I remember, we haven't, right hand, left hand, turn around, sit down, get down, hallelujah. Uh, we do that song. Well, if, you know, according to Scripture, perhaps here, if you read between the lines, we shouldn't sing Father Abraham. We're supposed to sing Father Terah because he's the one that came out. And I've taught on this before how they left the land of the Ur of Chaldeans and from Eden, the Garden of Eden, from down in what is Iraq today. And they followed the Euphrates River, the Tigris and the Euphrates. Even if you've got a D minus minus in history, you know that the Tigris and Euphrates, they say that's where, where history began. And it is, by and large, where you know, history began. Mankind, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. So they left the Ur of the Chaldeans and they went up the Euphrates River. And how many know that when you're you know, when you're going up the river, you're, you're going to be all right. Rolling, rolling, rolling up the river. I mean, because you got water here and deer there. Water, deer, and deer, and everywhere, everywhere, deer, deer. You're all right. But then when they got to the end of the Euphrates, that was where Heron was. After that, if you study on the map, they had to go down to Canaan's fair land, which is, Canaan is a fair land, but nothing but desert and hills and mountains and valleys, treacherous land to get down to Canaan. And Terah said, let me tarry here. Uh, maybe he was the original homeboy. Because, uh, listen, if you don't speak Spanish, you know, don't get offended here, but, you know, the Spanish have a saying, aquí para este pineda y que. Uh, and I think he's the original homeboy because Terah said, aquí para Terah, and I ain't going no more. Here, I'm planning it here. I'm staying here. See, I liked it when I was going up the river. But now I got to go through the hills and the valleys and the desert and the mountains. <laughs> Not me. And a lot of times in Christianity, that's what we got. We like it when we're first saved. Woo, we have it real nice and 
Oh, you know, let Pastor Steve preach, and they do this for me, and they do that for me, and oh, yes, yes, yes. But all of a sudden, now it's up to you to go through the hills and the valleys and the deserts, and no more water, no more stream. And you turn into a homeboy or homegirl, and you say, Aquí para Keith Conti, hallelujah. No more, I, I'm, I'm staying right here in Heron. Uh, Tara parks it here. And you don't want to go any further. No, you got to go on. Christianity is going to be some deserts and some wild times and hard times and, and difficulties. Uh, because you got a race set out for you. And God don't raise no sissies. I've said it before. Anybody that's been serving God for a while, a year, a couple of years, I salute you. My hat's off to you because I know you've been through some hard times. But you can't give in. Uh, that's what was happening here. Okay, God doesn't want us to quit at midstream like Terah did. We could be singing Father Terah, but we're singing Father Abraham because the Bible says Aaron got up from among them and he set out to Canaan's for land and he made it. Like we're going to make it. Yeah, you are. Come on. Now, in 19... But it was 1993. A man by the name of Vincent Foster committed suicide in Washington, D.C. Some of you, that may not be a big name to you. But his name was Vincent Foster. He was the one that was involved with to build Clinton with love and his Hillary wife, Hillary. Uh, and they were the ones that were involved in that kind of a, a real estate thing that they were doing. And it went bad and sour and south. And him and, and, and the Clintons were involved in this thing. And what happened with him is he took his own life. Okay, because he probably thought things were going to happen. He didn't know he, his president was real stubborn. Oh, good, you didn't get it. Good. Uh, he thought it was maybe scissors time. It was all over. So he couldn't go on. And he took his own life at the funeral. Okay. President Clinton said this. Okay. Once he learned about this tragedy, Clinton said these words. He says, it would be wrong to define Vincent Foster's life in terms of only how it ended. And what President Clinton was trying to say, did you hear what I said? What he was trying to say is, listen, don't throw out the baby with the wash in this man's life. He did a lot of good for his country. He did a lot of good for others. Don't hold this against him. All right? The way he ended his life. He says, look at the goods, what he's trying to say. But, uh, and here's the key to, to this evening's sermon. The fact is that how something ends, how a life, a ministry, a job, an athletic game, uh, is very, very absolutely crucial. You got to look at the end. You got to look at the final outcome. You can't throw that away. You can't just throw it for a shine. Oh, he did real, real good, but he backslid the last two years of his life. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You got to include the whole, like they say in Spanish, enchilada. Uh, if it's got olives, it's got olives. The whole thing. You got to include it all. How something ends, that defines and solidifies all that went on or happened before that that very end before the end are you with me I mean like hey when I heard the news about Jimmy Swaggart like my ministers were having a meeting and they told me oh did you hear about Swaggart just came out on TV my first reaction was no that's not true because I've been taught you can't believe the world uh, but then man it ended up true wow uh, the guy was doing great was doing tremendous 
But will he be remembered by and large for what he did back then? Like Vincent Foster, we were being told we should remember him by President Clinton? No. Jim Baker, you heard his testimony. Powerful. He preached at our, our Mighty Men of Valor a couple of years ago. Man, it was powerful. And he's gotten back on track. He's doing well. But yet, he had that setback. But praise God, like I said, he's gotten back on track. How about Judas? Ah, See, it actually did, you know, he did a number of things with Jesus when Judas was there. He, he was discipled by the best. He was discipled by Christ himself. But his life is remembered how it ended. That's how it's remembered. He did do a number of things. He did a number of good things. But by and large, the things that Judas did, we learn in the Bible, we only see the bad stuff. And especially the end. The Bible says he went and hung himself. heard those guys that real the, the the Gilbert called them flakes this morning uh, those flakes and you have some people like this oh God speak to me and they go like this and they say oh Jesus went and hung himself Judas went and hung himself go, oh my God uh, I'll do whatever you say Lord you know because that's what the Bible says that's how his life ended so the end of one's life what I'm trying to say has a lot of bearing ah uh, when I used to play ball and Lenny knows this because I use it now whenever I play every now and then or ever when I'm watching a game now. I don't play too much when I'm watching a game. Uh, but I'll be back. Uh, but we had a saint. I mean, you know, it's like the bottom of the ninth or what have you and, or the top of the ninth when we're getting ready to finish a game. Uh, and then the guy's on first base. I have a saying. I used to say it like this. I'd say, all right, guys. I'd be on third base. All right, guys. Let's end it pretty. Let's end it pretty. Just let him hit it to me. Or anywhere near me. He's out of there. Double play. Who will we go home? Because we ended it pretty. Uh, I mean, you got to close the deal. A great theologian one time said, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. Yogi Berra. 1950-something. Huh? <laughs> It ain't over till it's over. Your life, my friend, counts. See, the Apostle Paul, okay, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And he, here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says that the race has been marked out for us. See, we all have a certain race in our life marked out by God for each and every one of us. You all have a personal race. One of my favorite scriptures is in Matthew eleven six. 6. It says, blessed is that disciple that what? That is not offended in me. This is Jesus talking. He's saying, listen, don't be offended. How many disciples do we have here? Well, it says blessed. What does blessed mean in the Greek? Heavily what? Elated. How many want to be heavily elated? 
Okay, remember when that's that, that elation comes from within. It's not counterfeit, it's not conjured up, it's in the inside. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, of which we have. Gilbert said, when he got saved, the reason he knew he was saved, and he never broke a plate, is because something happened on the inside. He knew, I mean, all of a sudden that joy in there. He was, he was heavily elated. See, he never knows what it means to be heavily sedated. Let me show you what it means to be heavily sedated, Gilbert. Oh, we're having a good time. That's heavily sedated. Because that's from the outside. But this is from godly from the inside. Blessed is that disciple that's not offended in me, Jesus said. In other words, that scripture, and I've taught it here before, means you'll be blessed if you let Jesus call the shots. Don't get offended. Don't get offended even if something tragic tragic happens in your life because it will I mean women praying for Frank's family and the tragedy struck uh, but hey God knows what's happening God knows what's going don't get offended let him call the shots because he's the shot caller in your race it's a race that has been set by Jesus by God for your life it's been set he knows the race that you're supposed to be running uh, marked out by God the Bible says Hebrews 12 1 see our job is to keep running the race. Uh, you've heard me say many times. He says, you, uh, you're, I said, hey, and I'm not a perfect guy. Uh, if they had a candidate for the Pope, couldn't make it. But you've heard me say many times, see, I'm going to make it to heaven because I'm determined. I'm determined. I know what, what I need to do to get to heaven. I'm going to, you know, as much as is within me possible, I'm going to do to get there. And what's within me? The Holy Ghost. Uh, so the key is to keep running the race. In 1968, in the Olympics in Mexico City, okay, during the race that was run was the, in the marathon, a man that is very well known, his name was Memo Waldi. Remember that, remember that name, Gilbert? Memo Waldi. He won the marathon. And Gilbert and I were in the marathons. Matter of fact, the guy that we ran with, he got the silver medal at the 1970-something Pan American Games down in, in Mexico. Okay. But Mel Waldi won on a Saturday the marathon race in, the, in Mexico City. Okay, and that happened early in the morning. They had to start the race real early. But come, oh, later on, they were having races in the, uh, uh, in the big, big uh, Coliseum, all right, in the big arena. And they were having, you know, the javelin and the hurdles and different races that were going on because now it was like about, oh, 2, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. It was getting a little bit evening time. And all of a sudden, during these other races that were going on, the 100-yard dash, the heat that were going on, different races, all of a sudden, everybody stops. And one guy comes running underneath the tunnel. And he's all bloody. And this made big news back in those days. Okay, he's all bloody, and he's barely, barely running like this. Barely making, everybody stops. Okay, because see, the marathon race had been finished hours and hours before that. But this man is still running the marathon race. Okay? His name was John Aguillo. Sort of like the Chicano name. John Aguillo. Okay? And he was running for the country of Tanzania. And he was the very last man to finish that marathon race. He was limping. He was bloody. His legs were all messed up because he'd fallen. 
He'd fallen during the race. But here he came, still running. Okay? And the winner, like I said, he'd finished many, many hours before that. But then he came into the stadium and he runs what he's supposed to do. And he's in a terrible, terrible physical condition. And then all the reporters run down to him. Everybody says, they all run down to him. And they ask him the million dollar question. They say, John, John, I mean, come on, guy. We're having the hurdles now. We're having the 100 yard dash. I mean, it's over, brother. Uh, I mean, the last guy that finished was hours before you. The first guy was many hours before you. Why did you keep running? And he said these words. He was from Tanzania. He says, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish the race. You are citizens of heaven. When you began your race, God did not send his Holy Spirit into your life to start the race, but to finish it. You represent God. You represent your family. Your family's watching you. Your family's checking you out. Listen, so what if you're bleeding? So keep going. Keep crying. Keep getting over there. Ah, stay on pace in the race. That's how you finish. Finishing means a lot. And we need to understand that. Ah, this guy understood that. And the same principle applies to Christianity. God didn't save us just to start a race, but to finish it well. Now, granted, to start a race, a lot of people love starting. Gilbert and I ran many races. Uh, and we'd be there, oh, yeah, checking out all the big runners. And at, remember our day, when we, he and I ran, we had the top, out of the top 10 runners in high school, we had about the top probably five guys in all of the United States. These guys were like 906, two miles. They were bad. Hitting your 901, they broke eight. Uh, and then us. Uh, we had some of the best guys in the whole nation were running in our race. So we'd be there. Those three guys, four, we wouldn't even look at them. They're not in our race. They won't be there. <laughs> we'd look at all the other guys, you know, uh, that we're going to compete against. And there we'd be, oh, yeah, man. I feel good today. Oh, yeah. And every, all, hundreds of guys, oh, yeah. Let's go. everybody takes, you know. You, I mean, you feel real good when you first start. Go to one of our conferences uh, and watch a final night. We're going to pray for brother so-and-so. He's going to be going to start a church, you know. And, he, oh, he'll get there. And, say, and we're going to have brother so-and-so testify. They don't have too many testify numbers. There's a lot of guys going out. Very few testify. But when we were going out, there weren't a lot of us going out. So Sonny, give us the opportunity. Brother, testify. I remember one guy saying, oh, brother Sonny, I know People say this all the time, but I'm telling you, you're going to be proud of me. You're going to, oh, I'm going to come, oh, I'm going to have people here, oh, this place, oh, oh, oh. Now, the guy's still running the race, praise God. But his feet are down to earth now. He's got his track shoes on with spikes. At that time, he was, you know, he was running up here in the clouds. Oh, yeah, right. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the digo. Ah, because, I mean, we're starting, it's easy to start the race. When you first get saved, oh, you, you, you go home and guess what? I got saved. Saved. You hear that, mom, dad? I got saved. I'm saved. Now, if you're a young person, if you have parents, they'll, they'll be like, wow, you know, they probably feel good. But 
you know, what they're really trying to tell you by not telling nothing is, you tell me that in five years. You tell me that on down the line, later on. Uh, because, I mean, they know to start a race, anybody can do that. And we feel real good when we're beginning. Uh, but man, whenever you're running a marathon race, about 16 miles into a marathon, pain sets in. It starts getting pretty, pretty difficult. It's not easy. Uh, you can want to quit. You can want to stop. You can want to give up. Um, but see, just how it is that the best marathon runners are the ones that run through the pain. Uh, that's how it is with most Christians. You've got to run through the pain. Them that have God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You've got to run through the pain. But you don't know how I'm hurting right now. God does. He knows all about death. He knows all about the things you're going through. But a lot of times we think we're the only ones. We had one girl we had to deal with one time, my wife and I, and she kept saying, but you don't know. You don't know what I'm going through. This you've never happened to you. Yeah, yeah, we know. It might be a different version, but we know. It's not easy. You got to run through it. Ah, that's why, that's why I have this saying, the best fall. But finish it for me. But the best get up. Did you hear me? I got to put that quote in my book. Uh, the, because, I haven't, the, because I've seen the best fall. You ever seen the best fall? I mean, if you've been around the block a few times, you've seen the best fall. The ones that stay down were not made out of the best material. But the ones that get up, even in five minutes from five years later, ah, you know, you see them coming back into church five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, some 25 years later. 20, you know, they come in, but ah, they walk into church. Right away, you go, ah, they're made out of the best material. They were down for a while, but they got up. They're running through the pain. They're going to get up again. Hallelujah. Ah. See, God doesn't want us to just be great starters, but to be good finishers as well. Ah. This is called, in race te uh, terminology, it's, it's a kick. God wants us to finish strong, to end it pretty. Ah. Like we're leaving here. But we just can't be, oh, the building, the building. No, we got to end it pretty. We got to finish with a kick. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. It's the you know, beginning of a new day and end of a, a time and era here. But hey, don't let your guard down. See, there's some of you here today that have fallen on the track, uh, on the course that was marked out for you or, or for us. Some of you have stopped altogether. But it's important to get up and to get on. You got to do that. Remember Peter? How about the life of the Apostle Peter? He fell. He failed. I like when I say that because I know what I'm going to do. Here goes my statue again. How many of you have failed this week? Let me see your hands. Lenny's got a better statue than me because you're sitting down. Uh, I can't do that one. Uh, but, but get up. Failure isn't final. But the Bible, like I said, doesn't say there's no more failure. It doesn't say there's no more uh, mistakes. It doesn't say there's no more backsliding. It says there is now, therefore, no more condemnation. Understand your Bible and get back up and get on for God. Uh, so important. How you finish. Uh, Jesus told Peter, when you are converted, when you get back up, strengthen your brethren. Uh, when you get back on track, come on. Then begin to help again. Get back on the track. The thing is to keep running. Even when you hit the wall. You know, in, in a marathon, 
there's, there's a thing they call the wall. When they hit the wall, about eight, 18, 19 miles in. It's called the, in the Boston Marathon, 18, about the 19th mile. That's when most runners hit the wall, marathon runners. But in the Boston Marathon, as soon as you get to the 19th mile, there's a thing, some of you maybe heard of it. It's called Heartbreak Hill. If you ever run and you heard about it, it's called Heartbreak Hill. It's not real, you know, Santa Paula-style mountains. Uh, it's not, ooh. Remember that course we used to run, Gilbert? Just let me hear him talk right now, okay? Remember that one, the 21-mile one? It was all uphill when you South Mountain. Like, what else? I used to have to say, come on, Gilbert, you can make it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm preaching right now, brother. Uh, all right, take my rope. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, I'll do double the duty, you know. Uh, but that heartbreak hill is not like that. It's a slow, little by little, inch by inch elevation. But all the runners know about it. The ones that don't, they start thinking, what's happening here? They feel like quitting. That's what they call it, heartbreak hill. Some of you here in your life right now, maybe you've been heartbroken, but you've got to go on. Uh, you've got to go on. In Christianity, that happens. Right in the middle of the race, heartbreak and set in. Things that just break your heart and make you want to quit can happen. Maybe your child runs away from home. That can, that can make you want to, man, oh man, what's the use? Uh, they're not being obedient. What's happening over here? Um, maybe you found out that somebody's been diagnosed with illness in your family. Uh, and your heart's breaking. How could that happen? Why did that happen? Tragedy has struck your house. Uh, maybe your own body's not what it used to be. The old gray mare. This ain't what it used to be. I can't preach as long. Oh, I guess that's a blessing to the church. Uh, maybe your friend is backslid. Maybe the guy or the girl or the person that led you to the Lord, maybe they backslid. That can be a heartbreaker. You know what the devil will tell you right away? The person that back, and that happens a lot. They'll, you know what the devil will tell you? If they didn't make it, you can't make it either. And if you go for the first lie, he's got you. Uh, don't go for it. Keep going on. Uh, maybe you lose your job, a divorce or your separation or something. Go on. Go on. Heartbreak hill. See, any number of things in our lives can bring us to our own heartbreak hill. Uh, where every inch of our inner man and our spiritual life is being tested. Look at James chapter 1 verse 12. This speaks of heartbreak hills. James chapter 1 verse 12. There's that word blessed again. Do you have it? Blessed is the man who perseveres or endures. It's almost like the same word that I've taught on before, hupomeno. Remember that word hupomeno in the Greek? Hupomeno means the ability to remain under. Under what? Under pressure? Uh, some of you, pressure is just a long sermon. Oh, man. What time is it? Uh, those things are good for you. Uh, I mean, if you want to become something in life, you've got to go through these things. Blessed is the man who perseveres, or hupomeno, remains under, under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. Now, my first point today was Stay in the race. Don't quit. Don't stop. But my second point, okay, is this. First point for today's message, I only got two points. 
I didn't totally graduate from La Puente. I only got two points. The first point is to stay in the race, man. Don't, don't give up. The best fall, but the best get up. Okay? My second point is this. Okay? It's up to God to help get you to the finish line. Uh, in a sense, you might, it's, it's not biblical, but in a sense, you, God helps those that help themselves. Uh, because God's going to do his part too. I mean, God wants you to finish. And he's going to help you get there. You should thank God for that. We're not in this thing alone. Those that do are proud. I know I can. I can make it. I know I can. I know I can. Yeah, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. We need God's help as well. Uh, it's up to God to get us to where we're going. In 1992, another race in the Olympics. This one was in Barcelona, Spain. In the semifinal heat, in the semifinal race of the 400-meter yard dash, a man by the name of Derek Redman, and I used to follow his career, from Great Britain, English, he tore a right hamstring, okay? Just, it was a 400-meter race, but 100 meters into the race, he tore a right hamstring, and he fell to the track. The medics ran out to try and, and find out what was happening to him. They wanted to help him. But he pushed them away. And a lot of it came out on television as well. This was a very famous race as well. And he got up and he made a desperate attempt to finish the race. And the reason he did, this because this was in 1992. Because in 1988, in Seoul, Korea, Derek Redman had also qualified for the 400 meters race as well. But 90 seconds before one of his heats, He'd also had to pull out from the race because he had a bad Achilles heel. Okay, so in 19, four years prior to that, okay, he was in Seoul, Korea in 1988, and he's going to run in a race, but now he can't even race. So four years later, he's been training, training, training like crazy for this final race that he wanted to be in. And as he begins to run 400 meters, 100 meters into the race, he pulls a right hamstring. And I, I can still remember this because I saw it on TV. And when the medics come, the people, his coach, they try to, and he's pulling him aside. He's pulling him aside. And then all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, some guy, I hope I can do it, jump. Hallelujah. You want to help me? The old gray mare. Uh, he jumps from out of the stands, comes running out of the stands, runs over. He goes to his, I'll use you. He goes over to Derek Redman. And they get like this. Oh, and, and the guy was a pretty big, burly. Stay, 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 stay. He was a pretty healthy fella, so I can really be used of God here. Uh, and Derek Bedman was very nice and healthy. <laughs> God can use you right now, brother. Huh? And they get the race like this, and for 300 meters are like this. It was Jim Redman, his father, because he knew how much his son had, and what he'd gone through. Four years of training. He knew the history of his son, how he had to pull in 1998 from 88 from the race in Seoul, Korea. He knew what he'd given it his all, and he wanted to finish the race. But the father saw. That's the epitome of Scripture. And I'm going to show you it right now. See, God sees you. If you're, wanting, if you're attempting, if you're doing all that, you're using all your effort to go on, God will get in there with you. Now, 
as a representative of God, as best as I can in this church, as your shepherd, I, can, I think I can get a little bit of taste how God feels. Feels, feels, feels. Let alone faith every time you walk through those doors. As your pastor, man, I, I love to see when you guys walk in. Isn't it you? Gilbert knows the pastor. When we saw you guys walk in, especially some of you that have gone through stuff. Frank, I, I just love seeing you come. Knowing what you've gotten, things that have been happening in your life, you know. I mean, it just does something to a pastor. You want to get in there and... Maybe I should pick you up on my shoulder, Frank. Carry you to the funeral. Hallelujah, huh? It'll be twice as big. Ah. That's, that's the way you feel. You want to get in there. Let me prove it to you scripturally in Isaiah. Turn to the book of Isaiah. Okay? How God intervenes in our lives. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. See, if, if your earthly father wants to help out like Jim Redmond, how much more are heavenly fathers? Uh, if you ask for an egg, he's not going to give you a snake, the Bible says. If you ask for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a rock. He wants you to finish this course. He wants to help you. Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4 says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs. Oh, I like that one. He's talking to me. I am he. I am he. Says it twice. Who will sustain you. I have made you and will carry you. I will sustain you. He says it again. And I will rescue you. Uh, See, it's all in the attitude. God sees a good attitude to striving for the finish line. He's going to come down. He's going to carry you. He's going to take care of you. See, church, God wants us, you and I, to finish strong. Those of you that are here today, uh, that have had a few setbacks in your life, as long as you're breathing, there's what? God is still for you. You have still got a kick. Ah. Uh, God is never going to discard you and throw you away. Not at all. Remember I talked about Mephobosheth a few Sundays ago? Mephobosheth ran from God. No. Mephobosheth hot from God. Remember that? He was lame. For Mephobosheth, he was lame since he was five years old. For Mephobosheth, life was not same old, same old, but it was lame old, lame old. Every day was a lame old, lame old. And he was running from God, trying to hide from God. And finally, God uses David. And he says, is there anybody still alive from the house of Jonathan that I can help? That I can get in there and, and, and take care of him? David was representing God. And he said, oh, there's one. Remember Ziba? He said, there's one, Mephobosheth. Where's he at? Where was he? In Lodabar. What was he doing? Laying low in Lodabar. Trying to hide. Ah. And then what does David do? He sends an entourage. He sends Ziba and some of his servants and David's men to go find Mephobosheth. Nine days journey. Lodabar, and we've studied this before, was the farthest point north in all of Israel. 
The guy knew where to hide. He might have been lame, but he wasn't that lame. Uh, he knew where to hide. Like some people that, when you leave God, you know where to hide. Uh, you see the victory? Are they gone? God, I hope they're gone, God. Still talking to God, you know. Uh, but then they find him. We're like, the king, Mephobosheth, the king wants to see you. And we think, oh, no, it's scissors time. It's over. What a bummer. But what happens? Nine days journey, he comes in, and he comes into the king's palace. And what does David say? I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to bless you, to prosper you, not to curse you. Mephobosheth thought it was over. He thought the curse of God was all over him. And God said, no, so shall you ever eat at my table. God wants to bless you. Because of the blessing business. And we need to understand that. Ah, oh, man. See, our Father's not like that. He wants to bless us. God wants the best for us. Nothing but the best for the best. And He wants us to finish strong. Man, my wife and I just got back from Max Elvis' funeral. It was a graduation time. Maybe the greatest funeral I'll ever go to. One of the best. Him and Joy Rosales' funerals were great funerals. And man, I loved what his son said, who was not really saved, but he's gotten converted. He says, and he was the oldest one. He says, I count it an honor to be called and named Max Alva Jr. Uh, to carry my dad's name. Because his father, who had a walk with oxygen tanks. He preached with oxygen tanks. He preached behind this pulpit here many times. With, and he'd be, can I get an amen? That was his favorite saying. Uh, he was just trying to get some air. Uh, can I get an amen? But he kept preaching. Sonny would use him many times in his illustrations. Max just kept going on. He finished his race. His other son... Just got out back from the training center with my son in the East Coast. Man, you know, he said, man, my dad taught me well. My dad was a great example for me. If I can be half the man my dad was, I'll have a good life. So it's how you finish. You know, I was looking for an ending, and it's been about 10 years since I used this one. And I said to myself, it's been 10 years? Uh, people got to know this one, but I haven't used it in a while. But it, I think it's very appropriate for a sermon like this. Many years ago, Teddy Roosevelt was on a hunting expedition to Europe. Actually, he was in Africa. Went to Europe, caught a boat from Africa to Europe. Europe, he caught a boat back to America. As he was coming home, okay, on that expedition, there was a missionary who had also been to Africa. He had caught in another boat. He'd gone into Europe. He'd gotten on this very same boat, okay, with the president. And he was coming home, and they saw the Statue of Liberty. They're coming in, and as they get near the Statue of Liberty, getting in towards New York Harbor, Ellis Island, they see, and he begins to hear drums. He begins to hear, you know, trombones. He begins to hear trumpets. He begins to hear music. And the, and the missionaries, and, the, and everybody starts listening to it. And everybody gets on the deck, and they're tripping out. See, but he didn't know who was on the boat. And then, when they get closer, they see a big old band. 
Then when they, they dock, the big old red carpet, they roll out. And out, everybody starts talking, oh, Teddy Roosevelt was on the boat. And they're here to meet him. They're here to, to, to the band's here for him and all the dignitaries because he's been gone for a long time and now he's coming home. And the missionary gets, you know, Christians don't get mad, they get even. I'm just kidding. He gets, the, look, at what the, look at the way they call us. We get righteously indignated. We're angry, hombre. Uh, we're mad. Uh, but the sun hasn't gone down, praise God. Uh, and this, the, 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 the missionary gets righteously indignated. He says, huh, look at this. This president goes hunting. Big deal. He goes and he, and he kills some animals and he comes and he catches a boy and everybody's waiting for him. And he tells his wife, look at us. We were out there for laboring for five years. Finally get, you know, an R&R. We come home. All there's, and nobody, nobody's here for us. And we were out there laboring hard. Where the cactus are, hallelujah. We were doing it up, man. It's hot where we were at. Ah. This guy was just up the Euphrates. We had to come down through the hills and the valleys, the desert, the wilderness, the mountains. We were laboring hard for the Lord. And nobody's here to meet us. So he got all mad. And then his wife. Thank God for wives. Amen. I'll say it for you guys. Uh, I've said before, I tell people, the older I get, the more and more God's voice starts just sounding like my wife's. I'm not kidding you. Even in her, in her answering machine, that's God. We're not home right now. Oh, God's not there right now, you know. <laughs> but you can even message, oh, thank God. Thank you, God, you know. <laughs> Stay with me. So the missionary... Representing like a lot of us, he gets mad. And he says, man, this guy, and secular stuff and social stuff and, you know, political stuff. And here we are, spirit, laboring hard for God. And nobody's here to meet us. Then his wife looks over and she tells him, but honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Teddy Roosevelt, yes, this is his home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. But when we get home, oh, talk about music. Talk about drums. Talk about trombones. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus will sing shout the victory but for now we're not home yet but I just told you God will come down where we're at and carry us and carry us and carry us I want every head bowed and every eye closed every head is bowed every eye closed Spirit of God moving to ministry I want to read Isaiah 46 one more time. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, 
All you who remain in the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. how you finish means a lot means a lot we need to end it pretty because every hitter's about it and every close I want to pray for those of you that say brother Stephen I'm, I'm trying to live godly in Christ Jesus but I'm I'm going through some persecution I need the ability to remain under remain under I need God to come and carry me right now be real be honest don't hide. Be truthful. God can't help liars. God can't help those that are not out front with Him. He can't carry those. But those that say, yes, I need, I need God's help right now. Salvation means help. That's what it means. As every head is bowed, you say, Brother Steve, the sermon was for me. I'm going to simply open up the altars. I'm not going to have nobody stand. I'm not going to have nobody raise their hand. I'm simply going to open up the altar and give you the opportunity to come and kneel at the feet of Jesus. You see, the sermon was right up my track. I want to stay on the race. I want to finish my course. I need God to carry me. Is every head is still bowed. Every eye closed. Spirit of God moving in ministry. So the sermon was for me. The sermon was for me. And I know that I'm running a marathon. I know that I have heartbreak heels ahead of me. Maybe some of you are even there right now. I'm going to ask you very quickly to slip by your seat and make your way to this altar. Let me say a prayer for you. Anyone else? I'm going to wait a little bit longer because I always do this on, in sermons because somebody waited for me on a Sunday night 25 and a half years ago. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. And he's no longer in the race. But I'm glad he did. Anyone else? This is my last call. You see, the sermon was for me, and I want to I wanna end this sermon purity. I want to culminate this sermon in prayer. As I want to end my life, as I want my life to count with a finish, with a great finish. Hallelujah. Anybody else? This is my last call. God, minister to your life. You want to be included in this prayer. I'm going to give you that opportunity also to come right now and come and bend the knee with these that are here. Let me say a prayer for you. 